Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell, the managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and you are listening to episode 30 of Off the Course. This is the podcast where golf course superintendents and other turf pros talk about literally anything other than their job. My guest today, and I am really looking forward to this one, is Greg Brandright, a longtime turf pro, first for more than a decade in landscaping, then for almost 13 years as the superintendent at Elkhorn Ridge Golf Club in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Today, though, Greg is traveling around the country with his wife and their two sons. They sold most of their belongings, they moved into an RV, and they have never really looked back. We talk about what prompted the move, what Greg has learned so far, when he thinks he might return to a golf course, and the trying application process he has endured to do so. Golf course and green space ecology, his various artistic pursuits, and somehow after all that, even more. Great conversation with a great, great person. Before you hear from Greg, though, a quick word from the sponsor of Off the Course, and that is AquaAid Solutions. The mythical Excalibur might just be the most famous fictional sword. It was immortalized in Arthurian stories, and it was, of course, sheathed in stone. The sword in the stone, right? You remember that story. Okay. The modern Excalibur is the new next-generation rapid-response soil surfactant from AquaAid Solutions. Excalibur delivers rapid infiltration and consistent dry-down. It helps your turf achieve both consistent hydration and, and, this is key, superior rehydration. All you need is four ounces for every thousand square feet for your initial application early in the growing season. Then either an ounce and a half to two ounces every 12 to 14 days or three to four ounces every 28 to 30 days. And at least an eighth of an inch of water to deliver Excalibur to the soil profile. For best results, use Excalibur over a full season program and not just when signs and symptoms of water repellency and turf grass stress start to appear and make your turf uh, less than perfect. For more information about Excalibur, check out AquaAid Solutions at www.aquaaidsolutions. That's A-Q-U-A-A-I-D solutions.com. Find them on Twitter at Solutions for Turf. Solutions, the number four, Turf. Greg Brandright, after the break. Greg, welcome to Off the Course. We named this show about three years ago, and I don't think anybody who has been on the show has embodied the name <laughs> as much as you. You're about as awful as anybody can these days. Where are you right now? Right now, we're back in South Dakota. Uh, we got here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're in Spearfish now, where we had left from last July. And then uh, uh, next week, we're heading to Watertown on the other side of the state, which is where my wife and I are both from. So. So I'm going to spend the, the bulk of the summer there with family and, and whatnot. So that's where we're at, back home, quote unquote. You grew up in South Dakota. I think you were, were you born in Minnesota, but you, you basically were raised in South yeah. Dakota. Yeah. And until last October, you 
lived full-time, not just coming back for a while, and worked in South Dakota. It was 12 and a half years at Elkhorn Ridge Golf Club in Spearfish. I know you wrote a story about that for GCM. We can get into that if you want. But before any of that, what was what was Elkhorn Ridge like? What was Spearfish like? Um, Elkhorn, so uh, just to correct you, it was last July, not October. So we had left oh, I'm in sorry. July. Yep. That's all yep. right. So Elkhorn Ridge uh, actually opened in 2009 when I, that's when I started as the assistant. It started as nine holes. It's a beautiful setting. I don't know if you've ever been to the Black Hills, South Dakota, but it's, it's, you know, mountains and, you know, foothills, spearfish is in the Northern foothills. So there's mountains and canyons and, and, uh, you know, big open fields. And we had a herd of Buffalo and, and, uh, right there in the, in our, on our property. So it was on a huge ranch. 4,500 acre historic ranch. So there was old ranch buildings around and dating back to the old Deadwood days, late 1800s. And that had all been restored uh, by our owners. Um, so it was a really cool place. There was always something going on. You know, we had housing developments going and ended up adding nine holes uh, about halfway through my tenure there. So a lot of growth and, uh, and a really cool place to, to, to live and, and work. And we ended up living there too. Uh, on the course and building a house. So, um, and Spearfish, you know, it's a, it's a quaint little mountain foothill town, I guess, very uh, on much on the grow. I know, you know, the population shifts, you know, in South Dakota is one of those places that we're getting a lot of out of state people, you know, want to live here, you know, moving from a lot of people from California, Colorado, places like that. So it's on the grow, you know, it's, it's a nice town. The Black Hills is just a stunning a really cool place to live a lot, especially if you like outdoors, you know, there's skiing and mountain biking and there's golf, you know, lots of good golf. So, so yeah, uh, spirit. So, but I lived there for 20 years, you know, so, um, and at the time, uh, I left Elkhorn, you know, we, and we'll get into this too a little bit later, but you know, we had sort of come to the conclusion that maybe there was something else out there. And even though it's nice here and we did have roots here, it's, uh, time to, time to move on. So, so that's uh, Elkhorn and Spearfish in a nutshell. I have somehow never been to South Dakota. I regret this. I need to get there at some point. Um, you do. Beautiful country. Beautiful country. It, it is, yep. So when you left Elkhorn Ridge in 2020, start of the pandemic, still the first, what, six or seven months, what prompted that move? It was a, obviously a very weird time for everybody. Uh, yeah, and so... Um, August of 2020, towards the end of August, I was fired uh, somewhat out of the blue, um, but not really because I knew change was in the air, we'll say. (laughs) Um, So that, but it was a a bit unexpected to come at that time. And uh, um, and I I had actually written another story for GCM about that too. I'm I'm really into sharing uh, experiences if you hadn't been able to tell so far, but you're actually a really, I, it's, it's only two stories, but you've written at least two stories for that yeah. magazine, and they're both really well written. I just want to put well, that there. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I enjoy being able to share. So it's a, it's a cool, cool thing. So anyway, so yeah, I uh, was let go. And then, so it was, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, and so we, I had, we hadn't really, there wasn't really much to do. Not a lot of golf jobs in, in, in the Black Hills. So there's, you know, there's nothing to jump onto right away. So I ended up uh, a friend of mine has a landscaping business, so I helped him, you know, through the fall and into the next spring, 
as we were selling our house, we decided to list our house. So we decided to at, at also at that time that maybe it was time to embark on a journey that we had talked about about five years prior, uh, but we were just having our second son at the time and it wasn't really right time, but we had talked about doing this big RV trip, this full-time RV living, right? So that came up again and we had, you know, we had been through kind of the mental process of getting ready for something like that. And we were already homeschooling uh, partly because of the pandemic and my wife was already working from home. So a lot of things lined up. So we, we, uh, we started to make plans and um, put the house up for sale, sold the house over the winter, and then stuck around through that spring of 2021, you know, to kind of get, get our, get our new home purchased and, uh, and haul it back from Texas. And uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, last July, then we set off, uh, left spearfish and into the RV and on the road. So that's what, that's how sort of my tenure at Elkhorn and, and spearfish uh, subsequently came to an end. So not an end, I, I shouldn't say a pause, maybe we'll say, but okay. at least from spearfish. <laughs> there might be, might be a chapter two at some point. Maybe we'll see. This is where the story really picks up, at least this chapter of the story, the golf portion of your career, like you said, at least on pause, you and Corey and the boys back from Texas to South Dakota with this RV, full-time RV life. And you've been planning this for, like you said, five, almost six years. Yeah. Doing a lot of the mental originally. Well, uh, the original plan, we, we didn't have one just other than let's how cool would it be to live in an RV and what do you have to do? And how do you make this work? So that was a lot of the, the first, five years ago conversation. This one was like, okay, where do we go? How are we going to make money? You know, what are the kids, what are the boys going to do? You know, how does this work? I've never pulled a fifth wheel, you know, before, you know, and we're diving right into the 40 footer. So, you know, going big right away. So we started to, you know, look at, you know, you follow all the Facebook groups and, you know, the full-time families and all this, all this other stuff. So there's a lot of, wealth of information out there on, on how to do it but of course as with anything in life you have to go through it to really know how to do it and learn you know from your mistakes and all kinds of you know it's a whole new set of problems when you're going from a house to a rv you know you still have to fix things and things break you know it's different things that break you know your sewer line or whatever. everybody's got their their black tank horror story um, so we had never done anything like this before either. We we were tent campers once in a while, but you know maybe a couple of times a year at that. So we had never lived in an RV or anything. So, but we decided to do it, and uh, it worked. Just worked out. So we hit the road and and mapped out. You know the first probably couple of months through the through the rest of that summer, and we went to Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, up to the UP down through Michigan. And then as we were getting into fall, we were like Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas for the winter. And, but we didn't plan out that far ahead. We'd only planned out to about Michigan or Ohio. So, cause we didn't know if we wanted to go East or South or Florida, Texas. And so, you know, as we're out learning and navigating the country, um, I had sort of picked, we had one thing we wanted to do and 
something I was really getting into at Elkhorn Ridge was we were working on it. We were building community gardens, our own food market gar or restaurant garden, and we had honeybees and orchard and and so the the that concept of food and golf and not just golf but with housing developments or things like that we we wanted to explore. We had followed a lot of these places that we had seen and uh, these things are called agrihoods. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept, but it's urban, suburban farms, urban farms that, you know, with housing around it and but agrarian centered, you know, living lifestyle. Um, so there were a few, there are a number of these dotted across the country. So we kind of mapped out along that route to, um, to try to hit as many of these agrihoods, organic farms, and also golf courses that are growing food and and or you know they have honeybees or things like that. So we kind of made the list and plotted it out like that, and uh, and hit the road. So that was that was how it all sort of started. I know you started uh, doing a lot of honeybees and and other agricultural projects, uh, environmental projects at Elkhorn Ridge before the end of your time there. And then I think it's been what about six or seven months ago you were named a an ambassador for the Fairways Foundation. I imagine all this yeah. ties together pretty, pretty nicely. Uh, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, so how I came about with the Fairways Foundation was on one of our stops uh, was at Cog Hill in Chicago or just outside of Chicago. And I had gotten to, you know, follow them on Twitter and love what they're doing and they had this huge garden. And so I, I wanted to make a stop there. So while I was there, uh, Angelica who was there at the time. Uh, she's, yep. Yes, and she's since moved on, but she was showing me everything, and she showed me this bioswale that they had built below their wash bay, you know, to kind of clean the, the 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 rinse water before it goes into the into the ditch, right? And it's this big ditch with native plants and all this stuff, and she was telling me that it got paid for by this Fairways Foundation, and she was telling me this grant that they got and who it was and the Aquatrols, you know, group and everything. So. I started following them and reached out to them for, you know, just more information. And, and they were like, Hey, uh, we've got this ambassador program where you just basically, you know, talk about it and share social media and promote, you know, the, you know, get people to apply for grants. And, and I thought, of, you know, how perfect I'm going around visiting golf courses and farms and other, you know, RV parks, even that could benefit from, from, you know, that might have a project that's sitting on the back burner because there's no funding. And it's not a priority because it's like, you know, at the luxury at Elkhorn was I was able to kind of bite off some extracurricular things, right? And, you know, like gardens and farms and, and, and a, a lot of courses, superintendents don't have that luxury. But I, I said, yeah, I'll do it. What do I have to do? They said, nothing. We'll send you business cards and shirts and, and just share, share posts and, and tell your, tell the stories and, and get people to apply. So, so that's been fun. And we've done some, uh, we're working currently on some media promotions and stuff for, for that group. And, and, uh, I, they're about to have a golf tournament, uh, at Firestone in Akron, uh, sort of a benefit fundraiser tournament. I'm going to try to get there. I think I can make it. So that's how that came about. And, and so, yeah, I'm just out kind of, you know, pushing, pushing, uh, my, my climate agenda, whatever. <laughs> agenda. Yeah. Agenda. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, no, but so I, and in my last few years at Elkhorn, I really uh, became passionate about 
you know, sustainable golf. You know, I know that, that word's used a lot, a lot, of, a lot of different and sometimes nefarious ways, but it's sustainable, sustainability nonetheless, and, and uh, anything that you can do. And a lot of superintendents do a lot of that stuff already. And then that's when we get into the storytelling and, and how important that is in, in uh, sort of changing the perspective, perception of golf in the general public, making it more useful and more beneficial to their membership. So that's that's sort of what I'm carrying with me, not just on the road, but into my next career, you know, wherever that may be. I feel like you've probably seen a lot more golf courses. You've seen a lot more organic farms, and you've talked with a lot more people on the road than most folks in the golf maintenance or anywhere in the turf industry, just because most folks are tied to a single area. You are untethered. Right. In the last... Now, now almost a year. What have you seen on the road? Do you see, are you hopeful in how things are being tackled, being approached by various farms, various courses, or is there just a lot more work to do? Uh, can I, can I answer both? Sure. <laughs> Cause I, Absolutely. I'm, I'm really inspired and I, I saw things I wasn't expecting to see. And, and, uh, um, and yes, at the same time, a lot more could be done because uh, whether courses are doing good things and just not telling anybody about it, or they're just, they haven't thought about it or you know, it's not on their, not on their radar or anything, things like that. So yeah, both it's, it's inspiring what I've seen out there. And yet at the same time, I see how much more work there is to do um, from promoting and communicating and, and just sharing and, and, you know, you're in the business of sharing and writing and, so you know exactly what what that is. The more you reach out and connect with even just one person, or you know, whether it's just a and and that's so that's my approach is just go talk to people. That's what that's what works the best. And so um, yeah, I've met a ton of people, but and who are all doing different things, but yet kind of with the same approach or the same you know the same approach to problem solving, and, and which a lot of superintendents have to, and and, and sort of that's what makes them superintendents is that you know that's half your job is solving problems so i've seen a lot of good stuff i don't know if i've been to a, as many golf courses as a lot of probably your listeners have but they go there to golf right i'm not <laughs> so i'm when, going when they have time you when they have time I right but yeah i mean i we've been to between agri hoods and organic farms and uh golf courses with food i think we've probably about a dozen places all across the country from Wisconsin to Texas to Arizona to Ohio, just all over the place. Definitely want to circle back to that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll put a pin in that for now. We'll come back to that when we get to what might be next for you. Okay. You had mentioned a minute ago the tweet that sparked this conversation. This is from March 25th. You were, I think at this point, what, seven months? I'm trying to do the math in my head, seven months, eight months into... Uh, RV life, and yeah. you had yeah. embarked on a nationwide job search, essentially, going anywhere. I'm just going to read this because this is astounding. Some folks, I'm sure, saw this, but can't imagine everybody did. 31 applications in 17 states, 15 no responses, seven responded to follow-up emails, seven interviews, three of them at the time still pending, four runner-up to an internal or a local hire, six applications. At the time in the review phase, you turned down two because of money. You were ghosted one time. 
resume polish and stack spirits high. There were a few more points and we'll get to that in a minute, but I'm sure the numbers have been updated a little bit in the, in the month since, but Holy cow. Just, it was, it was, I don't want to say jarring, but it was, it was definitely, it, it made me stop in my Twitter feed when I saw that. And I'm sure others had the same reaction. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's been a sort of a jarring experience for me. I mean, Matt, this is the first time I've ever looked right. to look for a job, right? So I'm new to this and I had only heard from other people or, you know, you read, you know, you read stories or whatever, but so I, I, I don't want to say I had like too high of expectations or was too confident or anything, but I just, you know, so I started just to back up from the start. I started looking for a job right around last Christmas because I had got an offer from a course back in South Dakota, really just like 10 miles down the road from where we lived. And it just wasn't, timing was off, wasn't, you know, wasn't sure about the fit, things like that. And that wasn't enough to pull us off the road, right? And get us back to South Dakota in the, in the dead of winter of all times. So my wife and I were kind of talking, planning ahead. And I, I do like to work, believe it or not. Um, so I said, <laughs> yeah, I, I need to find a job. But so that sort of became my focus and, uh, you know, started looking and, you know, of course I get job alerts and stuff from, from the GCSAA and Indeed and set all those up. But as, it, as I got into, you know, you, did, you were just reading the statistics there. Once I hit like 20, I think, and I'd only heard from a couple and I'm like, what, what is going on here? Like, are they, all you hear about is how people can't find help and, you know, nobody wants to work and whatever. So. So lowest unemployment since. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm sort of, that was a little bit confounding was, you know, what is, is it? And then I started, you you start to get think, was it me or do people not like me? Am I I not, did I say something wrong? And I'm like, you know, no, probably not. So, cause I, you know, the interviews I had were great. And, uh, you know, like I said, I came really close on on quite a few, but you know, one thing I've learned and, and we can get into more of what I've learned uh, later, but one thing is that, you know, I quickly realized that the the course, when it's, when it's a toss up, they always go to the, the home, the home guy, right. The guy who's worked there or lives there already. And so I kind of figured that that was maybe my disadvantage in a lot of these places where I did, I did live there, you know, more than once, maybe even twice, I got the response are you sure you want to move all the way to Texas from South Dakota? And, you know, are you sure you want to move to Ohio? And I'm like, I'm applying for the job, right? Because I, you know, I know where you're at. So the stats were, so I, I put together the stats after I hit 30 and now it's about 40, I think, total. And I, I did have another offer uh, come through. Um, but again, it wasn't, uh, the timing was off and you know, it was just a couple things, personal in my personal life came up. So, so I kind of put it on hold as we're coming up to spring and late spring and, and uh, decided to been putting together consulting ideas and talking to other people who do consulting and, and, you know, it's something I can do when I'm on the road and keep busy. And I sort of done some along the way anyway, you know, for, for various uh, facilities. And so, so that's where I was at uh, with the, with the stats at that time and just again trying to share and hey if you haven't looked for a job you know maybe for a while this is what it's like so expect this right 
you know, unless you're applying at the, the course down the road or you're an assistant applying for the, you know, the superintendent that's leaving, applying for his job, you probably got a pretty good shot at it. So, but for us guys are, that are wanting to relocate and, or maybe not be, you know, uh, from that area, you know, where, you know, if I, I applied at several places in Texas that, you know, didn't give me the time of day. And I think, well, maybe they think I'm from South Dakota and I wouldn't know anything about Bermuda grass or you know, whatever. Again, you start to think about what's going on. What's going wrong? <laughs> Why am I not getting a call? So it can be so, so tutorial. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was the tweet and that, that kind of, uh, sort of when I'm, when I'm in that state of, uh, not confusion, but just trying to figure out what, what's going on and I'll sort of poke, you know, social media or prod people with some, you know, think about it this way or, how, you know, try, how do I get different people to think about it? Or maybe somebody else has gone through this that can lend some insight. And a lot of people did. A lot of people, I got a lot of DMs of like, Hey, I've been, you know, one guy was like, yeah, I'm on, I think I'm on 25 and I've heard, you know, back from like three courses. So a lot of that, a lot of that going out there. I don't think that superintendents that are working and, and not looking for work, I don't think they have any clue what it's really like to hit that, that job market. That seems so open and inviting and everybody's looking for work, but not, not all, not all it seems. Not long before that, it was a couple of weeks before that original post you had, and I've never heard of Chris Backey, as I'm assuming how it's, it's pronounced. He's the founder and the CEO of Lasky.com, which is designed to help people find full-time jobs and freelance work or what they call moonlight gigs. You share it on your Twitter. And, you know, along, along your points where if you're, if you're working in the industry, you're not looking for jobs, you don't know what it's like. Chris wrote once per year, every CEO and it applies to everybody, but he wrote every CEO yeah. apply to a job at their own company under a different name to see how maddening the process is for candidates. You quote tweeted that, or you did a screenshot. You responded, if you haven't hired a new outside superintendent in over 20 years, you might want to review your hiring practices before conducting an outside search. The needs, wants, and ideal qualities of the prime candidate have changed a little. Yeah, I think so. Well, so that, that was one of my realizations, and it was in an interview second interview with a, a course in Iowa and I won't, I won't name the city or the course, but I'm interviewing with uh, the board, so some board members. Right. And, you know, we all have a lot of courses have boards and we can all about imagine, you know, who's who I'm looking at. Right. And so one guy asks, um, you know, our last superintendent was here, you know, 20, 22 years or something. Are you, are you ready to make that commitment? I said, I thought you want me to make a 20 year commitment right now in this interview. So that hesitation right there before I did answer the question, eventually probably we all recognized that maybe this wasn't a, a good fit for me. Um, Cause I, I, so I said, well, you know, a lot can happen. I said, I've never been to your city or, and, or even to your golf course. So I don't know if we're going to like the town or, you know, it's up to my family. What do how do you answer that question when, when somebody asks if you're ready to, you know, commit for 20 years? And so I said, I thought, well, I said, I'm the youngest guy that you can ask or person that you can ask that question to, because anybody younger than me is just going to probably hang up or laugh in your face or, you know, like, I don't even know what I'm doing next year. What are you talking well, and, about? And, and nobody has contracts outside of no what uh, uh, maybe a professional athlete, but 
for some right. of us, you know, you ready to make that commitment for 20 years. The, the question is, you turn it right back around. Are they ready to make that commitment? For 20 yeah. Years? Well, you well, only have well, 20 years. Let's sign a 20 year contract. Yeah. So my response, you know, that the response that you think of after the situation is, oh, I should have said this was, you know, what are you going to do for me to get me to stay there for 20 years? Exactly. In a, in a little less, you know, snarky way. So yeah, there's that. And then I think another tweet maybe you saw was the, uh, the spelling errors on the, <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the HR, on the official HR documents. I mean, I just, you know, call it, you know, a slight case of OCD or whatever. But you know, when I get a questionnaire to fill out before the interview and it's grammatical errors and spelling errors, I don't know what to think. I can't help, but, you know, I'm trying to not be biased. It's no big deal. It's just spelling, just words, right? But at the same time, not just that, but other things where, you know, it's just like, well, you know, are you, have you done this before? You're talking to HR people or like, you're, you know, there's just certain things come up and you, it kind of boggles your mind that, that they're at this level, this level of course, or, you know, some really nice courses that just seem to have maybe, or maybe they're looking at 60 applications and are just like trying to don't have time to get back to everybody and just, who knows what it is trying to try to be empathetic here in this in this process as well but your point about finding grammatical errors in pre-interview questionnaires uh and then you also dealt with multiple no-shows from hr uh at, at one prestigious course you know maybe it's nothing maybe they're just you know scatterbrained disorganized busy whatever or maybe it's it's telling of something bigger at that course that's going to lead to you take that job and you're dealing with awful internal communication for the next two, three, four years until you realize that you need to go somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Go, uh, yeah. I got the ghosting was two interviews, no shows. And I come, I came to find out that there was a reason for it. Probably could have found, you know, time to reach out to any, me or anybody else who was interviewing for the job that, Hey, I'm going to be out of the office for a couple of weeks. And so I ended up actually reconnecting with that because I can't, I can't let it go because I had to know what, what was, what was going on and had an interview and it was okay. But I, I later found out through another superintendent who knew kind of what was going on that this particular course that well, had a lot of turnover, a lot of people had just left. And so they were kind of cycling through, including the, the, the HR person who I had an experience with. He actually knew who it was or who somebody who knew who it was. And he's like, yeah, not surprised so anyway not to not to badger but hey you know uh, people looking for jobs and employers can also learn from this uh, people sharing stories too so yeah so before we get to what you learned just from the the applicant perspective I doubt that there are many folks listening who are currently in the hiring process but maybe there are how should how should the hiring process be handled I mean, how do you how do you deal with job searches and how would you deal with that if you were younger and had less experience in the industry would you think so how i'm dealing with it now you know i uh you work on your resume have it reviewed by professionals or friends anybody because having a good resume does matter and from, from what i know just from interviews i've had that it was something that 
was on you know page one of my resume that somebody they they actually said you know we noticed this and wanted to bring you into the into the pool here so work on the resume expect rejection get used to rejection and being turned down and being ghosted and being forgot about and uh, you know which again especially as my younger self you know maybe would have dealt with that a little different as a younger man um you know full of vim and vigor ready to hit the tackle the world right and you're getting turned down and and uh, ignored whatever so be ready for that yeah again we've already talked about sort of the geography of this right. industry and how that does play a role and so if you're if you're looking out of state out of your region again get used to some you're you're not going to be at the top of the pile probably and so that's that's kind of a, a what i had to kind of come to terms with is like yeah maybe this is lower my expectations a little bit when it comes to to out of state and then you know from me personally what i'm trying to do is in my quest for learning and sharing is to try to figure out well okay so why do clubs what is the mentality that likes familiarity in a hire right um so why do they always if it's if it's a toss-up why do they always go with the home guy and is that good or bad is it you know, it can be good in a lot of ways because you've got somebody who's there and knows the club, but you could also be missing out if you go with, you know, don't go with an outside hire. You may be missing out on some new opportunities or new, you know, new approaches or, you know, things like that. So I think just open up, uh, open your mind, both sides, applicants and employee employers and young and old, just it's, it's, uh, you might slide right into something. If you know somebody there, you're going to have, again, you're going to have an advantage. Um, so that's, yeah. And so that's, you know, as, as a younger assistant too, or intern, that's, you know, the, the, the path a lot of guys follow is sort of along that internship or where did they intern or where did they assist in? Then they kind of climb the ladder there. Maybe they go to another course and are, and are, uh, you know, get an assistant job or, or, you know, it's just, there's a lot of, it's the network. And so that's sort of what I'm working on now as in my downtime is sort of revisiting a lot of the people I visited with, you know, even jobs I didn't get and just sort of follow up and say, how's the search going? And, you know, have you found a guy yet? And, and just trying to keep in touch and, and build that network because as superintendents know, you know, that's, that's where we get a lot of our support and information and, and education and, and, uh, and good ideas. It's just that network. You sounded there at the end, almost like a disciple of great Tyler Bloom, who's a uh, <laughs> magazine. He writes for the magazine a fair bit. He hasn't yep. written lately because I think he's been so busy. He talks with more people in this industry, I think, than anybody else. I know, uh, me included. I, I have re we have connected over over the last year and uh, shared some insight. And he's he's uh, he's keeping his eye out for me. So we've had some good talks. But yeah, that it's it's that same philosophy is just share, connect, and that's how you grow and and, and do better. Real quick plug, because the, the first thing that you said in terms of being on the job search is always make sure your resume is updated. We are not affiliated in any way with the GCSAA, but I have a lot of friends there and they do a lot of great work. I am pretty sure, I cannot say this for certainty because I don't work there, but they always do offer uh, looking at resumes. They have that as a service. Take advantage of that. Yeah, please do. It's Again, it's huge. And uh... And yeah, there, there's a lot of good resources out there and Twitter. I mean, that's, again, you, you, you see guys, if you follow guys like Tyler 
and, and other people who are and and you and guy and guys that are out telling the stories and, and sharing that's i think that's where a lot of guys get their their ideas and their and their uh support it's a very crowdsourced industry at times yeah at time. <laughs> no, no doubt any other lessons learned from now almost what five six good months really really hunting for jobs i mean there's there's a sense of frustration there's a sense of you know it's got to happen at some point but what is what is your take from from the road and now back home the, the any any frustration is is quickly gone um i don't want to seem like i'm bitter or or anything over this whole process it's been amazing the whole thing i want to qualify that as this whole thing has been amazing i've loved every minute of it and and in these you know these transitory periods of life is where we kind of uh grow right and try to figure out where you have to figure out do i just get a job or do i really get that job that you know do i hold out do i do everything i can to get the one job that i know i'm going to be able to you know stick around or you know it, and maybe you're getting to be my age you know middle age or older where you're like okay i i can't keep doing the I, you know the this whole dog and pony show i got to find a job that that really means something and and uh you know really gives me it's fulfilling right so i'm i have somewhat of the luxury of of doing that and and holding out and being picky and choosy but i guess you know looking ahead uh, i am very optimistic and once fall rolls around and the, the, the shuffle the great shuffle happens <laughs> as we see every fall something's going to open up i i do have a few irons in the fire some leads and stuff i'm putting out there for for other some consulting work so we'll see what happens but um i'm i'm the type of person that to the chagrin of my wife at times i i like to wait and see what comes around the door <laughs> instead of going to get it go get that job it's like well i can do both i can try to find the balance of being aggressive and, and outgoing and, and cold calling even in some cases all the way to just put it out there and step away and, and see what comes around so Corey sounds very very patient and and uh, uh she is she's pretty incredible amazing, she's an amazing incredible woman and I'm, I'm too lucky and she you know she's the reason we've been able to take this trip or this adventure it's because she's been working at, at, along the road and, and things like that so it's a team I've got my own team here already so team brand right yeah in regard to having irons in the fire you posted a few weeks ago this on twitter as well that you quote put together some consulting packages for golf and landscaping and if folks forget you did work in landscaping for i think it was a little more than a decade before you got into golf sustainability projects and more and this is all part of greenstone consulting this is your company right it is and it's just a name right now with a logo you have a name and a logo that's more than a lot i of mean it. that's that's where it, that's where it, that's the start right that's all you need and an idea and uh you know like i said i i know enough and i know enough people and i'm just trying to make take full advantage of all my contacts and i know a lot of guys like me and and other superintendents you know even it like so a lot of it is with vendors say who are former superintendents when they come to your course I mean, you can just talk about you know different things with different people again i think that's where we learn a lot of our trade and where a lot of our you know secrets and approaches and and, and tips are passed on so 
yeah, the consulting is good. It's if it turns into something that that'd be great. I mean, to be my own boss and to be able to continue to travel, like I said, I could be just about anywhere when you're pulling your home with you. Uh, we'll again, we'll see what comes of that. I've got some uh, course or two back uh, east, uh, back home in Watertown or around that area that I've, I've talked to, and I've got a out here in the Black Hills. It's about ready to build a, a project out here, so not golf related, but landscaping and things like that. So, so we'll see what happens. The benefit of you being able to be anywhere in the U.S. from July onwards has to be a major selling point. Not that other folks, other consultants can't get there and you'll right. probably take a little longer to get there. But once you're there, you're there. You're not right. back home to yeah, yeah. Texas yeah. or Washington or wherever. Right. Yeah. So we'll see it. And, and again, I'm, I'm kind of taking the trying to bite off a chunk of the or, or get the attention of, of golf courses who are interested in expanding into that food and gardening and, and honeybees and things like that. Trying to work on a presentation about about yeah, food and golf and, and trying to get some speaking, writing going and, and things like that. So trying to keep busy there. It's not it's not hard when I've got a six and a nine year old, two boys that like to keep busy. But circling back to Corey, you wrote, and I just want to read this whole thing and just let you gush or do whatever you want to say uh, about Corey, because again, just sounds incredible. My wife's wife said the other day, this is from about three months ago, a sign of a true leader is how they defend the most vulnerable members of their staff. I can't tell you how many manager, in quotes, meetings I sat through while other bosses disparaged, demeaned, and conspired against the lowest on the totem pole. When your staff knows you have their back, the trust and loyalty in return pays countless dividends, builds lifelong connections, because in the end, we're remembered how we treated people in their most vulnerable, challenging moments. And because everything on Twitter has a hashtag, hashtag <laughs> just leadership. Uh, it's, it's, these, it's these kinds of things. You know, it, it's, it's a core lesson. It's a lesson that you managed to share with a bunch of people. I don't know. It feels like it puts this last 12 to 20 years and this year in, in a little bit of perspective too. For sure. And it sounds really heavy when you read it back to me. <laughs> it was two tweets. <laughs> I know. I do it yeah. So, um, yeah, my wife, so she's in banking and she's upper management, you know, so she, she deals with people and groups and team building and project management. So she knows, she knows, and she's so good at, at, at one thing I admire about her so much is she can read just about anybody. She, she reads people and she knows, she knows if you're, she knows if you've been bad or good. She's not Santa, but no. <laughs> we always talk about leadership and I, that's another passion of mine is, is that, you know, sort of the, and you, you know, you've seen and probably you've talked to a lot about, you know, uh, Paul McCormick about the okay. mindful, the mindful superintendent and the conscious leadership. And, and I love that stuff. And I, I, I did a lot of that sort of soul searching uh, stuff about, Oh, six or seven years ago, my wife and I kind of got into this, into the whole, it wasn't because of the secret from Oprah, but it was kind of along those those lines, you know, the influencers and the, the self-help gurus and the things like that. So I, I love that stuff. And so I've gotten into a lot of leadership. And I think the, the tweet I shared before from the one guy, he, he does a lot of leadership stuff like that. And that was that tied in and that was sort of personal for me. And 
and that that tied into my last job and, and sort of how that all came to an end. And there was just some, some toxicity there. And so I, I love exploring that part of the, of the job too. And, and talking to guys, I always ask other superintendents, you know, what, what, what's, what your, what's your GM like? What's your relationship with him and, and how do you guys work together? And, and uh, you know, the, that, that's one relationship in golf that requires a lot of work is that either the pro and the superintendent, as we all know. Yeah. And I got along with all of them great, except not so much the last one. But, but then again, that's why I write about it and I share it because I learned so much. I learned you learn about yourself and it's not vindictive or they did this and I got screwed and it's none of that. It's just, you know, where did I go wrong? Well, how did I contribute to this mess and how do I get out of it? So I love, I love talking about that conscious leadership and I, I love talking to Paul and, and, and the other guys that, that deal with that and talk about that stuff. So. Yeah, that's, that is a great point where, you know, it's easy when you have a bad relationship, when you're let go, when something like that happens that to deflect blame, like I, I, I didn't contribute to this, but no, I mean, it's is yeah. it entirely your fault. No. Did you contribute? Of course, at least a little bit, but did you contribute the most? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was, maybe it was just a bad relationship. Like you said, with somebody, uh, who has the power to let you go. I've been there I'm there. Yeah. And, and happens sadly far too often in the golf world where it's just, it's, it's, you're almost treated like a, like a football coach. I think I've seen the analogy of how a superintendent's like a coach. There's some, I don't know, some meme go that goes around that every once in a while that talks about how, you know, you're, you're always judged by the last thing you did and not your whole body of work. <laughs> That's a big thing. And it's uh, so there's a lot of that that goes on, and and I, I you know I want to I want to fix that too. I want I want to find out why, you know when it, when our golf course is going to stop listening to the 15 handicap 75 year old board members, and not not that there's anything wrong with that. And glad they're still playing and whatever, but <laughs> I don't. That's a whole other conversation probably we could have about about how guys. And I didn't have a board. I was fortunate, but it's that people that have power, it's the power over dynamic, sure, right? That it's, and it's not just in golf, it's everywhere. But, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people in management use that tactic to, like you said, deflect blame or get what they want without even really knowing it. And then that ties back into the hiring. <laughs> and, and have you hired somebody in you know, the last 20 or 30 years? What's the new, is the new superintendent going to agree with everything that you know, the last guy did, or is he going to feel the same about this or things like that? So there's all, there's all kinds of ways to different ways to look at it. I just try to take a, a, a wide approach and share, like I said, we've been talking for, I don't know, almost an hour. We've talked very, very little about what you've actually seen on the yeah. road. And if, if people don't follow you, <laughs> it, it, it's funny. You wrote, I think it was, uh, I think it was the 2018 story you wrote. And geez, when you're at this uh, South Dakota chapter meeting presentation, and it was great because it was, it had nothing to do with turf. It just, yeah, had, right. You know, who are you? What are you? And, and you wrote, yeah. I am. And you winged whatever you wrote down. You know, people, it's easy to fall into, oh, I'm a golf course superintendent. I'm the editor of a magazine, whatever. I try not to do that. It sounds like you try not to do that. And yet your Twitter handle is super. <laughs> um, 
but there's a lot more to you than just turf and uh, and environmentalism and, and ecology. You've managed to turn everything into an adventure. Uh, this last almost year sounds amazing. You, you talked about it a little bit before. I just want to rattle through just in the last six months, and this is on your Twitter account. And if people don't follow it, Super Greg B, follow it. You've visited uh, Brazos Bend State Park in Texas. You visited the Sonoran Desert in Southwest Arizona, Monument Valley, right on the Arizona-Utah border. If people don't know what that is, they've seen pictures. Moab in Utah, which is amazing. Lots and lots of other stops that I've probably missed. So many hikes, lots of uh, bike tire photos. So obviously a lot of rides, sunrises, sunsets. I mean, I went on a road trip with my wife to visit 120 minor league ballparks in five months. Mm. This was before we had kids. We lived out of a Honda Element and nice. we worked entirely too much, but we went <laughs> to the in five months and drove 30,000 miles. It was amazing. Still, even though I didn't write as much about it as I wanted to, still the best year of our lives. And I'm sure something will top it, but not yeah. yet. This has to have been just an incredible year so far for you and Corey and the boys. What, what has this been like? Uh, it has been amazing. It's been, it's been a, learning experience there's been trials and tribulations there's been you know growth and just seeing all kinds of beautiful things we've never seen before and, and just seeing you know a slice of america i mean just especially during these weird times we live in now and this big shift in in about everything that people are doing and the way they think and it's just been really fun to get out and see the country and um to give our boys uh an experience like this at age six and nine, I think is huge. And they may not grasp it all right now, but I mean, I, I know if I, if some, if, if my parents would have done something with me when I was like this, when I was a kid, I, I would have never, I would be eternally grateful for them getting me out and doing this. I'm just trying to butter up my son so that when they hear this, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so it'll, it'll yeah, stick with uh, them. It'll stick with them. I know. Right. So, um, yeah, you mentioned all those stops and again, that, yeah, that's just the last six months or even, yeah, from Texas through up through Arizona and Utah. We also hit white sands in New Mexico was another just otherworldly like place, just a little dot. Right. But it's just like, wow, this is so incredible. And so, um, and a couple other stops through there and yeah, lots of biking. The boys, uh, got me back into mountain biking. We bought them new bikes along the road somewhere up in Michigan, I think. And so doing a lot of mountain biking. And again, you know, living in the Black Hills of South Dakota, there is some of the, like, there is world-class mountain biking out here. So I did, I was sort of spoiled and didn't take it as much advantage. But, you know, you're going to like, like I said, the UP and, and Arkansas is great biking. And Texas, uh, believe it or not, is some really just amazing bike, mountain biking and trails and things like that. Obviously Moab. You know, it's like mountain bike mecca. Um, so I had I had quite a lot of fun there. Uh, but yeah, just trying to make the most of it and trying to, uh, you know, you gotta you're you're planning ahead skills because you gotta plan the next stop and, and try to figure out you know how long you're gonna be there and is there even a spot and you know are we too late? I mean, we booked Arizona like you know in March. <laughs> so like, Getting hot. <laughs> I know. And, I, and like, how, how is, how are we going to even going to get a spot here? Everybody's here, but we ended up getting there and uh, it was fine. But so yeah, this, the last year has been crazy. And I, 
I recommend like in just like what you said, what you and your wife did, everybody needs to take a, just a giant road trip. Figure out how to do it. You can do it. There's got to be a way. And even if like me, if you have to get fired and sell all your shit, just or whatever. You can swear. do it. Okay. <laughs> do it. Just take advantage. And, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of situations where you can't, and, and, but that's fine. But yeah, it, the, a trip like this is, has been amazing. And, and whether it ends, you know, uh, soon or, or not, you know, if the consulting work picks up, it may continue on. If, if I find a job, we'll, we'll go there. And, you know, we do talk about, you know, we're in a, we're in a house right now uh, that my in-laws have in Spearfish. So being back in a house after, you know, a year on the road, <laughs> it's kind of nice. I mean, the first thing my wife said was, we walked in the house, she said, oh my God, I can take a bath. That's, I was going to ask, because you are always and, <laughs> water and sewer hookup. Yeah. First thing you do when you get in, thing you do. First thing you do. Yeah, you got to yeah. do that. Yeah. We left uh, South Dakota last year with three boxes of latex gloves. And my wife says, how, why, why did you buy all these gloves? And I said, you'll know, you'll see after our first stop, why, why I have the gloves. <laughs> I imagine you've gotten through all three boxes and you're maybe on box four by now. I, I probably, but five or six. Yep. Ugh. Yep. But it's fine. So yeah, last year has been great. Incredible experience. And so on my Instagram, which is just Greg Brandwright, uh, I share more of the pictures and, and some of the photography and some of the stops that over there. Before I let you go, because I know we've been talking for an hour, I have to ask, incredibly creative person, incredibly artistic person. Uh, there's, there's photographic and I'm sure some more video evidence of you playing guitar at various industry events and, and other gigs. Um, obviously, your photography but you were also for, over the course of 12 years in South Dakota, part of Black Hills Community Theater in Rapid City. Uh, you were musical director, I think, for Tommy. You acted in a handful of, of musicals and, and plays. And there's one that jumped out of me, because this is in your LinkedIn. You played Roger in Rent. <laughs> I did. Would I it did. Be that would... to ask you to sing some Roger from Rent? Uh, it would be. Oh, Okay. <laughs> It would be maybe another time, maybe at the next event we're at and the, the drinks are, we've had a few drinks, maybe I'll bust out of one, but no. So that was, yeah, that was uh rent was uh, my first like real musical production that I did. That was about probably 12, 10 or 12 years ago, maybe Okay. before that I had always been in bands. I'd been, I played music my whole life. My family, my mom, my grandfather were both musicians. And so I've always been around it. I played in bands in high school and just kept playing, you know, through college and, and eventually everywhere still. Uh, I just had a gig a few ne- few weeks ago or a couple of nights ago, last weekend. So been in and out of bands. I do just solo shows. The theater is something I got into out in the Black Hills uh, just through friends who I knew through the music and arts community. And they're like, oh, you should do this play. We need this guy. And so I did this play and it was hilarious. And I got to say the C word on stage in front of people. and. It was like a thrilling, like a, <laughs> like the real C word, like the, the yeah. British. Yeah. It only has that, power that, if we give it power, though. It's just a it, word. right. And uh, but it's the, so using that word on stage, there was always it never failed. People would get up and leave, and it was right away. It's like <laughs> like scene two, and I'm dropping the C word already, and 
and people are getting up to leave and that's power like that's when you feel that on stage so got into theater yeah yeah right so uh so got into theater yeah did rent that was really fun it was just so cool it's such a good experience and have done more since then and uh yeah so the last thing i did was tommy from the who and was the played in the band and was the, the musical director so yeah a lot of music i uh, got into photography just recently um sort of at the encouragement of my wife because at work i would always take pictures of spiders or flowers or apple blossoms and just that's what i'm drawn to is the nature of photography right so she's looking through my look we're looking at pictures or something she's like Who, what are these and i said oh those are so i took these at work she's like these are she's like these are really good you should sell these or something she's like i buy like stock photos of flowers and trees and stuff like that and anyway so we started talking about that so i started to focus a little more i took the little online photography class like you know eight lessons and again really cool uh, i'll give a quick plug to the shaw academy <laughs> i don't know sure. if you've seen the pop-ups but they you know they have a photography uh, smartphone photography class so got into that and i yeah just it's a hobby but i've i've had requests to for prints and you know canvases and things like that of some of my shots so we'll see where that goes to again I, it's my my wife's she's like yeah yeah sell some pictures make some money do something <laughs> and i by the self-critic in me you're not very good nobody will buy it just like nobody will hire me that's not true <laughs> i know <laughs> so that's where the the music and the art and kind of come together. I, I, I do like to be creative and we're all, everybody's creative, but it's just in different ways. And, um, but I think that's bled into, you know, my management style and, and the way I, the way I superintendent. So I like to have fun. I like to be creative. I like to, I like to, you know, rock the boat a little bit once in a while. Think outside the box, whatever general, um, term you want to use for, for that. Before I let you go, anything else you want to plug or promote besides Shaw Academy? No. <laughs> they have a good cooking class on there, too, that I took. What's the best dish you've made from that? From that class, um, the best thing I've made uh, are uh, banana muffins. And it sounds simple, but, man, these are good. Other than, we already talked about Fairways Foundation. Follow them, and if you've got sustainable projects like i said that are sitting on the back burner waiting for funding check it out and uh my my consulting if you follow me on twitter instagram or even facebook i've got a facebook uh, business page for greenstone consulting um, that's got some of the so what i've done there is done little case studies and shared pictures and told the stories of some of these agri-hoods and, and farms that we've been to. Um, so there's some of that more writing and stuff over there, which I need to, I don't, I need to get on the ball and have a Twitter page for that too. Probably. Right. For Greenstone. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. I don't know where I'll be in three months, but which life is, is good. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. That's the best part. <laughs> You're a nomad. I know. Right. Well, Greg Brandright, this was amazing. Like I said, I could talk with you a lot more, but you have a lot to do. So I normally say job title and position <laughs> doesn't entirely apply to you. So I'll just say Greg Brandright, who is a former community theater star, a artist <laughs> with active gigs, 
an active photographer, a Fairways Foundation ambassador, head of Greenstone Consulting, which can be anywhere in the U.S. starting in July, uh, former golf course superintendent, former landscape pro, husband to a very patient woman, and uh, dad to two boys. I think that about sums it up. That is a great summary. I appreciate it. Despite your Twitter handle. More than, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, this has been uh, great too. Matt, thank you so much for uh, for having me and reminding me of some things I've tweeted that I haven't <laughs> thought for, for a while. They sound so much heavier when you... Uh, it you know, does, it really through. does. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. My thanks again to Greg Brandright for going probably farther off the course than any previous guest on this podcast. My thanks to AquaAid Solutions for sponsoring Off the Course. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts, because I'm just going to assume you do listen to all of them here on the Superintendent Radio Network. There's Beyond the Page. There's Greens with Envy. There's Off the Course, which you just listened to. There's Tartan Talks. Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of every month. And Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of every month. Our June issue is online now. I never assume that anybody listening to our podcast knows we put out a magazine. The magazine this month packed with feature stories by Guy Cipriano and me about how Twitter has become the way for turf pros to communicate by Northwest Superintendent Ron Furlong about how to handle green scholars from our West Coast correspondent Judd Spicer on the rise of putting courses and more. You can check that out at www.golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. And you can read even more industry news and notes in our fast and firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up online at the homepage, www.golfcourseindustry.com. Deep breath time because it is credits. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists are, I think, just the best. Terry Buchan, Henry DeLozier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and Matthew Wharton. We have a crew of fantastic regular contributors to Tyler Bloom, Trent Bouts, Carr, Ron Furlong, Trent Manning, John Spicer, John Corsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our summer editorial assistant is Cassidy Gladio. You heard her on a recent episode and maybe read her byline online and in the magazine. She has been great so far. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner handled sales. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. He also finishes puzzles. I recently spotted a wistful thousand-piecer showing the back of a... Well, the, the view out of the back of an RV. It seems appropriate to mention that on this episode. Oh, well, that was a good puzzle. Caitlin Sellers makes sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antel makes sure we all get paid. Very important. Amanda Cafardi handles production. I mean, so does more than anybody in the building can ever keep straight. Ryan Jacobs, Anna Matthews, Cody Miller, Tom Ballman, Brock Andrada, and Patrick Brion are our nightmares. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we whip out you. I say it at the end of every episode, and I mean thank you 
Like a blazing fire, an eternal flame. 